I wonder how it would be if we could read the thoughts of the women in our organization. If someone would come by and sprinkle the magic dust for us and we knew exactly what women were asking for. We knew exactly what they needed so they could not only just come to our organizations by us attracting them, but we could retain them as well. We could also engage them simply because we clearly knew what they wanted. If we can read their minds and see what they were thinking. I wonder if they've already told us. movie with Mel Gibson in Helen Hunt, What a Woman Wants, where Mel Gibson plays the role of this executive who thinks he's going to outwit his female boss. You know the story. But I just wonder, here he is in this movie, having the ability not to just read her mind and see what she's thinking, but he knows her innermost thoughts. That is pretty powerful. I wonder how it would be if we could read the thoughts of the women in our organization. If someone would come by and sprinkle the magic dust for us and we knew exactly what women were asking for. We knew exactly what they needed so they could not only just come to our organizations by us attracting them, but we could retain them as well. We could also engage them simply because we clearly knew what they wanted if we can read their minds and see what they were thinking. I wonder if they've already told us. Have they already told us? And perhaps maybe we just weren't listening. So that's what I wanna to talk to you today about, what a woman really wants in an organization so that we don't continue to attract her but not able to retain her because we clearly understand the value of women. We know that when women are sitting in the C-suite, we know that when women are sitting at boards, these companies outperform their competitors, sometimes even as much as 6%. So we do realize that when she's sitting there, it's not because we're checking off a box, it's not because we're filling a quota, it's because she is adding value. She comes and she's contributing to the team. We also realize that perhaps she's probably the most educated person at that seat. Because we know that when we look at the graduates, 53% of them are women. And that's just in the undergraduate. And 47% of the women are also holding master's degrees and 38% of holding MBAs. So therefore, we know that when women are coming, they're adding value. So we need to discover what she wants. And that's what I wanna to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about what I believe a woman wants from your organization. I call it my gender policy checklist. But this is what she's asking for. So she cannot just come to your organization, but so she can stay, so she can be engaged. And so therefore, when we are doing our targeted recruiting, when we are creating our mentorship programs and talent pipelines and our ERGs, we are keeping in mind what she really wants because those do benefit her and it supports her in her career, but she needs more than those touch points. 
She needs a holistic feel of the organization. She needs a culture change so she can succeed. That's what she wants. And so the first thing I believe that women want in an organization is flexible working arrangements. This has been one of the top requested benefits of candidates when they're looking for a job. 73% of all candidates say that when they're looking for a job, work-life balance is key. This is something that is very important. In organizations who have been able to do that, have been able to organize flexible working arrangements, have been able to attract top talent, they've been able to increase their engagement, they've been able to increase their retention, and they experience better productivity and improved attendance. So the question is, what really is flexible working arrangement? What, which way does it come? So there's various ways that you can offer flexible arrangements. But I want to talk to you about some of the most popular things that we see. We see 92% of organizations giving flexible arrangements in terms of changing the time or the place of where they work, in terms of a person get a full day off. Or perhaps maybe, and they can do that, we see that with nurses, where they work sometimes uh, three 12-hour shifts. We also see that sometimes in some organizations, they work four 10-hour shifts. So that's a flexible arrangement. We also see that sometimes people don't always have to come into work. And so therefore, they're working at satellite office. So that's what 92% of our arrangements look like. 87% of the people have a flex work schedule. And what that does is allows an employee to work from a different schedule than the normal start and stop time. For instance, everyone does not have to come to work at nine o'clock in the morning. Sometimes people can come in at 10. Maybe you have early risers who need to get in at six or seven. So these are things that we can look at in our organization that women are basically saying that they want. They want telecommuting. They don't wanna to have to come in to an office every single day. And I know a year ago, if I mentioned that to you, you probably would say, not in my office, it doesn't work. But now we are seeing that telecommuting can work, that people can do telework, they can do telecommuting, they do not have to come into the workplace every day, at least not to a central place every day. They can work from home, they can work from a local coffee shop or co-working space. This is what women are asking for. And we see that when we do this, there has been an increase in productivity. There has been an increase in retention. And we also see that there's a decrease in our absentee rate as well. And so there's different kinds of flexible working arrangements. There's time, there's location, there's amount of work. So there's different kinds. And so one of the things that I have done for you today is created this gender policy checklist in a workbook where you can download. And I'll give you the information exactly where you can download it at the end of this session. So you can go ahead and download, and I've given you step-by-step, step, and I've given you about at least 20 to 50 questions that you can ask yourself so you can create the policies in your organization so you can have that policy of a flexible working arrangement. Not only did I include this, but I include my next thing, what I believe that women want. And that's access to hot jobs or access to pivotal jobs. And you're probably saying, what kind of jobs are that? What kind of jobs are those? What are the pivotal jobs? So let's just take a step back and ask ourselves, what roles are gonna get us to the C-suite? 
Because when we look at the C-suite and we only see one out of five women are sitting in those chairs, or let's just say out of our Fortune 500, out of those 500 seats, there's only 30 women sitting in them. We know that we have a lot of work to do. And so in doing that, we have to find out what kind of roles will lead to get to those jobs. And how can we give the women in our organization those roles? Because we do spend a lot of time working with sponsorships and mentoring programs, but yet they're still not able to get them to those roles. Because we have to make sure that we are placing women in the kind of roles that will lead to the sweet seat. So what roles are those? Large visible project, projects. These are the kind of projects that when they're working on them, the whole company is looking at it. I remember when one of my roles in the Fortune 500 company that I worked in, I had exactly that type of role where all of a sudden I was, I was basically taken from just meeting with my internal clients who were mostly uh, at that time, uh, director and VP level. And all of a sudden my meetings became with our C-suite. And how was that? Simply because of the kind of project that I had, it was gonna affect the entire company. So all eyes were on me to make sure that I executed this project flawlessly. That was a large and very visible project. I came basically from nowhere to somewhere. You know, there you I was sitting in my cube typing away. No one knew I even existed until this project came. These are the kind of projects we have to give to our women. We need to give them projects with LPNL responsibility because these are another projects that allow them to be able to show their various skills that they're going to need for the next step. We need to start giving them international assignments. And so we can't count them out. If there's, there's an international assignment, it's not for us to say as HR leaders that they're not ready or they're not interested, they have families. We need to make sure they're putting those assignments in front of them. These are the kind of roles that they need. We know that there's a broken rung, but we also know that we also are counting women out before we have even given them an opportunity to show their skills. We need to give them mission critical roles. Things that are really, if your organization is working on a great a merger or a huge downsizing or whatever the big project is, see that there's a way that we can give a woman a role on that project. Now, not only do we wanna give her a role, it'll be great if we can get her to lead that project. If there's some way where you can have to read that lead that particular project. What I also want us to do is look at our talent development programs. And what I want us to ask ourselves, this talent development program or these session planning meetings that we're having, are we actually targeting them for positions that are in these pivotal roles? What are we training them for? What are we grooming them for? What are we developing them for? Are we developing them for the pivotal roles? Are we developing them so they can get to the sweet suite? or are we just basically sending them for another training program? So we have to be very clear on the criteria that is needed for the pivotal roles, and then we need to be grooming the women in our organization for them. They want these roles because they want more responsibility. They have now placed themselves and positioned themselves in the organization saying that they want more. So it's up to us to create an atmosphere and environment. So these are some of the questions I want to ask you to ask yourself about your organization. And that is, hey, I have this talent development program. 
Is it leading to the pivotal roles? Hey, how are we fulfilling those pivotal roles? How do we even communicate those roles? Or are we doing the same old, same old? We're picking people or we're opening up to everyone. So these are just a few of the questions. If you go through the gender policy checklist, there'll be more questions that you can ask everywhere from communication. I have you looking at the various areas in your organization of how you select for those roles and how you can um, choose people for those roles, especially women, for those roles and still be fair. We have you looking at your job profiles because that's really where it starts. It starts with the job profile that sometimes those are even biased before they're even letting the woman in. The next thing I believe that women want in their workplace is a harassment-free zone. Women want to come to work and not feel like they're going to be sexually harassed. And a great with the Me Too movement, we've had a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations about what's going on in terms of sexual harassment. We've talked about what sexual harassment looks like, but yet we still see a lot of women are not reporting what's happening to them in the organization. And so therefore we need to go back as um, leaders, as people leaders, as talent leaders and ask ourselves, what can we do? So again, let's go ahead and look at our policies. Let's look at our zero tolerance policy and find out, does that work for us? Should we have that kind of policy? Knowing that this zero tolerance policy is causing women not to report because they're concerned about someone losing their job. We know that 94%, 90% of women are not reporting workplace harassment simply because they um, do not want to get someone in trouble. They want the harassment to stop, but they not necessarily want someone to lose their job. And this is happening, unfortunately, it's such a high number. 54% of women have reported that they have experienced some kind of unwanted sexual advances. So understanding that we have to look at different ways so we can make our workplace free of sexual harassment. And some of those things is looking at our reporting policy. How do we report? Who understands clearly what sexual harassment looks like? What do we discuss in our sexual harassment training? What's happening in terms of our culture? Does our culture say that this is not, this is not tolerated? Do we have policies and training and then that does not reflect in our culture? So these are the kind of questions I want you to start asking yourself so you can identify where that gap is. Again, we have in our policy uh, checklist, we have questions that you can ask yourself. Look at the groups in your organization. Where are you experiencing more? Is it a particular department? Is it a particular level of employees? We find that, uh, that some employees are more um, susceptible for sexual harassment than others. So the next thing I want to talk to you about what she wants, she wants to get paid. Yeah. She has shown up for work and she wants to get paid. She knows clearly that she is putting in the work. We also realize that women are sometimes even being measured at a higher level. And so she wants to get paid. And so what I want you to do as a professional, as an HR professional, as a person who has so many opportunities in those touch points of where salary is negotiated is to look at those areas and ask yourself, where can we ensure that this is fair? Are you invoking the pay transparency? And pay transparency is basically saying that um, people can talk about their salaries. 
Are you asking for salary history? Because these are one of the ways that we are impacting women and not helping them to uh, leverage a better salary. Um, are we doing wage audits in our organization to ensure that we don't see that women are making less as a man in the same role? Are we um, looking at salary negotiations? Are we having them? And do we need to have salary negotiations? So these are different areas that you can start looking at in your organization so you can make some changes. Some of the questions I ask you in the uh, gender policy checklist is to look at how you do promotions, to look at what happens when you do your performance appraisals. I want you to look at your hiring process. So I want you to look at every one of these touch points where salary is negotiated, where salary is discussed, where salary is offered, and begin to see how you can make a difference in these places so we can wipe out this gap. I know about, I don't know about you, but I'm one that's exhausted of talking about gender pay gap. I kind of want to see it go away. And I don't want to wait to 2059 or 2024. And I said to you before that in 2059, that's when white women will finally have the same salary as their white male counterparts. African-American women will see it in 2024 and uh, Latinx will see it in 2130. We're not going to wait for there. We're going to start doing something right now where we can start seeing that this salary and pay gap disappears. The next thing that I believe that women want is they want the bias to stop between race and gender. And this is really tough, especially for our Latinx and our African-American women. And then bias is basically when we're preferring one race over another. So we're giving one group of people, one race, one gender, a more preferential treatment than the other. And we kind of see that, you know, with those attaboys, uh, someone says something and it's not necessarily really that great, but everybody's kind of like high-fiing them that it's really cool. And so we want to kind of find out how can we make some adjustments in that because it's really paying a toll on the women in our organizations. It's an emotional tax, basically. And that's what we're calling it because this is where they're really bearing the burden of this unfair treatment. They know it's happening to them. They know that they're making less than their male counterparts. They know that their race is playing a part into some of the decisions that are being made. I mean, we can read and we know countless stories of people who um, are sidelined for different projects or not offered different projects. So we wanna make sure that we are not being a part of that. And some of the things that we can do and start having some of these uncomfortable conversations. We can look at our diversity recruitment and see, are we really being open in this recruitment? We can review performance ratings and kind of look at these ratings and kind of see if there's any biases inside these ratings. We can talk about unconscious bias and have inclusion training, but we also need to challenge people when they try to hide behind unconscious bias as well. We can also look at uh, emails and see how people are described in the email and how we are describing people in the emails. And so this will give you also an opportunity to see if there's bias in that organization. And then look at, again, at our job profiles and make sure these job descriptions are really the skills that are needed for this job. Make sure that we're talking about when people are getting feedback in their performance appraisal, that is actually tying back to business goals. And it's not just 
very uh, vague feedback. We find that a lot of times that women are getting feedback that they can't even do anything with. They're like, you know, you just need to be more present. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, what do you want me to do? So I heard a story once with um, one of Jack Welch's uh, executives, and he kept saying to her, hang around after the meeting. You need to engage more. You, you can't um, continue to just come straight into the meeting and leave right after the meeting. Stay behind and engage more. And so that was pretty good feedback, but he realized that she wasn't quite getting it. So one day he had his secretary call her. So the secretary calls her and, you know, as usual, the call was for Jack Welch himself, but had the secretary call. So she gets on the phone, the female executive gets on the phone and she says, hello. And next thing you know, there's no one on the phone. Like she just gets a dial tone. And so she calls back the secretary and said, oh, hey, by the way, Jack wasn't, you know, Mr. Welch wasn't on the phone when I got on the phone. And she said, yes, he wanted you to know what it felt like when you left the meetings, how you just walk out abruptly. Now, that probably might not have been the nicest feeling for her, but she got the message. Clear feedback. When someone gives you clear feedback, she was not getting it from the other feedback that he gave her, so he took it up another notch. It helped her. She says it helped her. It gave her an understanding clearly of what she was doing. We cannot continue to allow women to get this kind of feedback that is so vague that she doesn't know what she's going to do. So we have to look at her performance appraisals and her evaluations and see, is she getting the feedback that she needs? We need to also make sure that they're tied again to business, business goals. And then we also need to be aware of assumptions. And so don't allow her to be counted out because of what's happening in her personal life and other people kind of say, oh, well, she's not ready for that. She doesn't want to do that. Make sure we're discussing her career goals with her. So these are the things I believe that women actually want in the workplace. If we can give her these things, we will see her go ahead and progress. Now, I promise that I would tell you how you can get a hold of our gender policy checklist because I go into deeper detail on each one of these where you can sit down, open it up, write out exactly where in your organization you see the gap, what policy you would like to write about this in your organization. I honestly believe this is the beginning of how we shape and change culture. We as HR and diversity leaders have that power. We cannot just simply think that we're going to do an isolated program somewhere else and make women feel great about themselves or that they have a promising career in a very isolated situation. And then when they come back into the workplace, they experience something totally different. And that's what's happening when we have our mentor programs and we have our um, talent pro um, development programs and some of our ERGs. In that environment, they're totally supported. But when they come back into their everyday workplace, that support they're not seeing. We need to make a connection. We make that connection by holding people accountable. We make that connection by putting right in front of people the expectations that we have for them. And so when people clearly understand what they need to do and we hold them accountable for doing it, we can expect a change. Thanks so much for joining us. Continue to create the workplace where women would thrive. That's a wrap. And thanks for joining us for the HR for Her podcast. And if you would like to find more ways for creating a workplace where the women in your organization will thrive, then go ahead and do two things. One, 
download our gender policy checklist at our site, hrforher.com, and find out how your company measures up. And two, subscribe now to our channel and leave a review. We would love to hear from you.